Welcome to episode 58 of the Sim Sundays podcast. This week we have sim racing legend, BMW sim racing driver, and founder of Popometer, Popometer, Nils Nauyoks. Nils talks to us all about how he started in sim racing. He gives us another live for speed rubber band thrustmaster uh, story, which which we've grown to love on this uh, on this podcast. Uh, he gives us his take on the growth of sim racing since 2015, 2016, uh, when it all started to get a bit real. And he tells us about the inspiration and the vision behind his setup and coaching tool, Popometer. Before we dive in, though, just some very exciting news I want to share uh, with you about our podcast. We have a new sponsor, Assetek Sim Sports. Uh, Assetek are working with us um, at GridFinder and the Sim Sundays podcast on a number of projects over the next few months uh, and hopefully years. Um, including supporting us here on the podcast. So uh, thank you and welcome uh, Assetek. We're going to have some Assetek guests on the show um, throughout the year. Um, the Gridfinder Sim Racing team and um, us in the office and the, the Gridfinder development team, we all tried out the Aztec kit at the Sim Racing Expo last year, which is when our conversation started. And we were pretty blown away by the quality of their equipment, especially their uh, direct drive wheels, um, and their real deep understanding of um, sim racing and, and kind of what it means. So I'm really excited here for the, the team in the office to try out the Forte bundle uh, when it arrives and we fit it to our Track Racer TR180. And speaking of Track Racer, just a huge thank you to Matt, Johan and the team at Track Racer for sponsoring this podcast in its first year. I uh, really appreciate the faith you put in, uh, in, this, in this project. Um, we've been using that TR180 day in, day out in the office, and it's just as rock solid now as it was when we first built it. So thank you. Right, let's get on with the podcast. Niels Nauyox, good morning. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Well, we say good morning. We've said it twice now, and I'm very conscious that it is morning. Um, this is an admission <laughs> on my behalf that this is the earliest podcast I've ever done. And actually, it's like... <laughs> 10 past nine so it's really not that early <laughs> but i feel like usually these podcasts are right at the end of the day and i've had like four coffees by that point and i'm pumped up so we're going to get through this <laughs> together are you, you you're a you're a morning person uh i don't know i'm i'm i'm, I'm very rare to kind of describe myself with hard words i guess <laughs> so it depends on the day i i totally i think i'm i know i get stuff done if i get up early but then again, doesn't happen too often. <laughs> How about sim racing? Like not to dive straight into the kind of the technicalities of your sim racing regime, but do you, are you do you tend to prefer to race in the morning or the evenings? Honestly, to kind of fit it better into your normal life, it would pr make perfect sense to just treat it as normal work and do it in the morning hours. But of course, everybody else in the team, and I guess it's a thing in most teams, mm. it's, it's a hobby for most people. So to practice together it's going to be after their work which means it's in my evening usually but yeah every time i'm independent i actually try to do it in in the morning hours like not 8 a.m or something but before noon and then yeah. have already kind of cleared my guilty conscience of having done my practice yeah <laughs> and then I've, i've i'm freed to do other stuff that's nice. also important <laughs> yeah and I, I uh every now and then when i let myself kind of dream of the prospect of one day being you know, fast enough to be a pro sim racer. I always thought, you know, I, I definitely think I'd be like more of a morning person. If I, if, if, if my <laughs> nine to five Monday to Friday was just about becoming a good sim racer, I feel like the morning is when you're sharp and you're fresh, you know, and in the evening you kind of get more and more easily distracted, I find. 
And it's also just because you still have a lot of day left. And with sim racing practice, it's never, you can't make like a clear cut. Let's say I do a two or three hour session, then I call it a day. Mm. You always need that feeling of progress within the session. You can't quite control that that's going to happen within the two hours or whatever time frame you give yourself. So it's it's tricky to do it in the evening because you're running out of day, literally. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Uh, mornings are better because you're like oh okay if i don't make it until 10 okay maybe 11 okay noon would be fine mm. so that's that's more easy on you if that makes sense <laughs> i mean this is this is this is dreamy i imagine a lot of people listening here who aren't fortunate enough to sim race all day every day are probably like oh my god what a what a routine um but <laughs> Niels, you're, you're sat in your uh incredible sim rig with your bmw sim racing team jacket on and your sim pro trophy behind you and you run uh, popper meter which is obviously an incredibly uh successful setup tool for sim racers right so you're kind of you're all about sim racing and that seems to be the, the all you do right now but tell us what happened before sim racing came into your life what were you doing before <laughs> sim racing entered the life of Niels now yux yeah so let's say sim racing is going to have this story arch through my life right after doing oh, like beautiful this. <laughs> um so i think it you probably couldn't call it sim racing back then, but it was 1990s, okay? <laughs> when my, uh, like we had a PC in the basement and uh, I don't remember if it was my birthday or Christmas, but I got a steering wheel, like very early Trustmaster T1. All it has was a rubber band inside to make it recenter. <laughs> that was the, the only resistance that it had. And yeah, my father gave it to me as a present probably was half a present for himself because he was in mm -hmm. that basement yeah. every now and then for sure um but that got me started with or got, yeah got me started with with driving cars on the pc at the time um and i think what i played must have been indie car racing one two grand prix one two these were the days kind of um but it was never serious back then i was like eight years old or 10 maybe and um, it was just there, something I did every now and then. Um, and then with, with we got older, school, blah, blah, Counter-Strike became a thing with with my friends. And we played that a whole lot, really. And actually, I spent much more time there. And uh, at one point, I was also doing some uh, BMX and mountain biking, well, probably 16, 17 or something like that. And I did an unintentional backflip. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that didn't go too well so i, I broke the collarbone and uh, that kind of it's very weird oh that goodness. that forces me to do a sim racing but i kind of couldn't use the keyboard but i could drive one-handed <laughs> and no. um <laughs> i love that like not not gaming just wasn't an option at this point <laughs> yeah i don't know <laughs> so yeah i dug out the steering wheel and got going and at the time um it was on the grand prix 4 forum or something where one of the guys was advertising live for speed, not need for speed, but live yeah. for speed. So yeah, an yeah. actual sim. And I, I just drove a couple laps. And uh, I mean, the sound in that game is still like computer generated. So they're, they don't have audio recordings or anything. It's literally generated from what the engine layout is. It sounds awful, but uh, <laughs> just the driving was so different to everything I had before where you're like, yeah, that makes a lot more sense and this is a lot more difficult and i think this difficulty was so captivating for me mm. and they had the leaderboards and they got me totally hooked and i probably spent the next three months just 
chasing that world record. And I think it took a year until I had it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's nuts. A live for speed, I feel like is a bit of a it's a it's like a cult within sim racing. If you've if you know what live for speed is, that's a tick in a lot of sim racers box that, that you've at least heard of it. And if you've played it, then you're like, okay, one of us, one of us. <laughs> we, like we, uh, we actually still have some uh, live for speed leagues running on Gridfinder. So people like, you know, they could race on ACC, they could r- race on AC or iRacing, yeah. but they choose to race on live for speed. Just And I can understand that. I think because of the emotion, <laughs> right? It's, yeah, probably just because you're thinking back of, I don't know, different sim racing times mm. but i think it's also maybe because it's not that competitive it's just much easier to grid and go and now everything if you go to iRacing you always have to be prepared you can't just go into your week unprepared try to have a race because you're losing rating right away yeah and the same on on acc without preparation or at least having a brief idea of the track car combo and the setup ready, mm. you don't even have to start. Like, even I would lose rating if I was forced to start with the aggressive preset or something just because the level is so high. Yeah. So um, that maybe helps one of, or some of those games that aren't as popular where you can just, just jump in, pick it up, nothing on the line. Yeah. So, okay, so you're in your teens, live for speed. Uh, you're, you're grinding the leaderboards on live for speed. What next? Um, ESL at the time, um, they got... So they had Counter-Strike and FIFA, things like that. And it was very early days. Like their, um, their broadcasts were worse quality than your random podcast, for example. <laughs> it was much more ghetto style, so to mm-hmm. say. And um, so they were just getting going, tapping into everything that was there gaming-wise. So they also picked up sim racing. And it was live for speed because there were some connections of people and just, just how it goes. Um, and they started a pro series in that as well, which I just immediately qualified. I think I joined the second season, so they had it going already for half a year or a year. And yeah, I think I I think I did win it in the first year. But yeah, the just but it was again it was the the level of the day. Just it were mostly I don't know late twenties, mid thirties people doing sim racing or so. That seems they, that seems older than than the the crowd that are racing now like if we think back to where um the esports the fantec uh, arena in uh, the Nürburgring last weekend what do you think the average age of the drivers that you were racing was there i'd say it's probably <laughs> early 20s if not late teens right definitely around that yeah i'm i'm kind of distorting the average there but <laughs> <laughs> i guess without me it would be 20 max i don't know yeah it could be <laughs> that's interesting that the the age seems to have come down why do you think that is I just more accessible, more popular, just mm. uh, more eyes on. I don't think when. I mean, it was Gran Turismo one times when I started. Yeah, and and the PlayStation was new, so being able to do racing games in general just wasn't a thing until a certain time. And then, of course, with with gaming growing and Gran Turismo being one of the most sold games ever, probably, and coming with a PlayStation like by default. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Uh, People know there's racing, right? It's it's not that that alien to do it, um, and maybe I don't know. I don't think PCs got more affordable. Like if if I see what people need these days to oh run those sophisticated games, it's it's not that. No. <laughs> and the equipment certainly did get more expensive as well. So I don't think that's the that's the main factor. So it must be just that there's a there's a thrill about it still. It's interesting, isn't it? I wonder how much of an impact the, the, the Gran Turismo franchise has had on sim racing. Because a lot of sim racers now with 
kind of roll their eyes at Gran Turismo and say it's not a sim, it's an arcade. And yeah, we'll put that aside. I think that 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 frustrates me a little bit. But the <laughs> the interesting thing is that so many people know Gran Turismo, like gamers know Gran Turismo, not motorsport fans, not sim racers, but gamers, and even people who aren't gamers. Like my parents, if I said, "Do you know what Gran Turismo is?" they tell me that it was a it was a racing game. And even more so now that the film has come out. But I think back to those early games in Gran Turismo. The the um the first racing game I ever played was Toka Two on the PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think back to Gran Turismo, and you look if you compare Gran Turismo Two, especially with Gran Turismo Now, they're pretty similar in terms. Of, they've even got the same like world map layout and the B licenses <laughs> and the A licenses, and you you know it's they they kind of nailed it first time, and then, then for the last twenty <laughs> years have been going. How do we make this better? Just better <laughs> graphics, I guess. <laughs> It's true. I think the general concept of the game is still the same, right? You grind up to drive faster cars eventually. Um, but of course, the, the physics got way more sophisticated. I guess the experience is cleaner, sharper, mm. more immersive in all aspects, yeah. most likely. I mean, I, I've, I've heard or seen people praising the VR implementation of Gran Turismo, for example, despite the whole thing being what a 60 fps mm. which would freak me out on the pc but i guess if somehow if they works, get that right. right then it's fine yeah <laughs> yeah i did a th- uh, four hour endurance race on uh gran turismo 7 uh last month around le mans in an lmp and it went through like a night and rain cycle and it was mm-hmm. it was really really good like i race a lot of acc and you can you can definitely tell the difference but like it was it was really enjoyable and really immersive and it was a real kind of i still felt the same racing experience you know practicing for the race the qualifying and then being on the grid and then the the light changes and the 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 weather changes like as a pure spectacle to enjoy just as good as everything else if not maybe slightly better because it's just easy yeah i think so i i I had my talks with aris like i interviewed him for the magazine we did last year for example and he uh like he was um, he was repeating the message that for him, it's not just about nailing the physics, but uh, the visuals are just as important mm. to really make it immersive and give you exactly that perception that you were just describing, that it drags you in and um, it kind of just gives you that feeling of so many of your environment and surrounding changing that, I don't know, just makes better to use a simple word. Well, I think... It's and we'll we'll carry on with your with your timeline, right? I'm gonna we're gonna pick this up, but um, I I think in in terms of why Aris is right there about you know the graphics being just as important and it having to drag you in is that it's a simulation. Now I I, I worked out recently that I really love simulation games, everything from Roller Coaster Tycoon as a kid to even things like you know age of empires one and age of empires two you're you know you're simulating that reality i actually kind of like mill sims as well recently i've got into like how let loose and i'm dabbling with armor like i well, i realized that i really like simulation where you're simulating something that actually exists i and i hate i hate fantasy games i can't <laughs> stand anything with magic and monsters not my thing at all um and i wonder if that's the key to like a successful sim is really is really building in the the immersion that people can actually recognize. So getting perfect physics on a car, unless you are a racing driver, which is basically negligible in terms of the number of people who are sim racing, um, you don't actually know 
whether those physics are true to life or not. You can only just you can just watch YouTube videos of somebody like Jimmy Broadbent who's doing a bit of both, saying it feels like it or it doesn't feel like it. Whereas you can actually see things with your eyes. So when you play a game and you see the the you know the spray coming up off the the tires, or you see the 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 light coming through the trees as you're taking a bend, or you see the way that the light catches a curb, it all adds to that sense of immersion and it's one step closer to you genuinely feeling like you're there and you are a racing driver and I think a lot of sim racers if they're honest with themselves love doing you know more than just casual racing because they love the idea of right I'm preparing for the race I've got practice there's a qualifying server up where I'm going to be qualifying with everyone then you know even some of these leagues that I've been in the past, I'll do like a race briefing where somebody will talk through track limits and blah, 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 blah. And it, <laughs> it makes you feel like you're genuinely about to start a real race and you sit on the, the start line and your heart starts going because you're nervous about turn <laughs> one because now you have all of this emotional baggage behind the race because you've done all of this lead up to it, right? Like, and I feel yeah. like that's the bit that really makes a sim work. It's also what sets us apart, I think, from other games. Of course, I guess if you play Counter-Strike on a professional level as a team, then, of course, you have lots of dedicated preparation and finding new positions and whatever you can do on the map and angles and whatnot. But for me, always, Counter-Strike was, let's start a game, right? So you group up, then you press start, and you play, and then you play again, you play again. There isn't this, mm. like, 20 hours of preparation before going into an actual race, right? And that's... Well, yeah, I guess where, where, as you say, the the emotional baggage just changes it completely when, um, yeah, everything is on the line all of a sudden, and so yeah. much went into it. You just um, care a lot more. Absolutely. I mean, you don't want to put that all to waste. I mean, the disappointment is just insane when something goes wrong first lap, especially because. Yeah, it's it's the biggest pain if you have to chase your tail for twelve or twenty four hours. It's like not fun at all you really have to make it work from the start because ca catching up is horrible because it's so difficult because it really needs other people's mistakes you mm. there's just nobody who's just faster and yeah. makes up for these kind of things but you were saying um about the the immersion thing and i just recently did the ams2 review video and then and just going back to the comments now where someone said okay but if you're so much into the physics what about race room for example which I guess mm. focuses a lot of physics is probably well developed because they're so old. So I love their front-wheel right? drive. The front drive uh, cars in race room. I really enjoy racing. Yeah. So the I guess the driving experience in, in race room is fine because they really develop this further and further and further over what now, 50? I don't know. The game feels 10, 15 years old. I don't know. It looks But old. the thing, yeah, that's the point, right? Because... Even if it might be good from a driving experience, just the raw driving experience, nobody's playing it. Or at least in comparison to other games, it's very below, uh, in terms of player numbers, just below everything else. I think R factor is as low or something, or grid three. <laughs> but uh, just nobody's playing it because I think it's just lacking behind in every other area. Maybe even sound is good, but if it's not graphically captivating people, then they're, they don't seem to play it. Like you don't, you want to have that change of finding your breaking point in the night or something. 
you're relying on this one spot on the track and then it changes as it becomes darker and then you kind of have to adapt and there's a new challenge and then the weather comes is there rain in race room i don't think there is i don't right? think i've seen any rain in race room i right? watch a lot so of they... race room streams i don't think i've ever seen rain yeah, so there's there's lots of things just missing from that game. Even if the physics might be correct, it doesn't seem to be enough for people to actually play it. Well, I would I would suggest that maybe, you know, if my theory is right and that people love sim racing because they love the simulation of reality and they like to feel like they're genuinely there, then if you have bad graphics, then you're constantly being reminded that it's a game. Like con like visually, yeah. subconsciously, you're constantly getting all of these triggers saying this is a game, this is a game, this is a game when you see bad graphics. Yeah, like if you have a HDR monitor and you do ACC on bathers and the sun is coming up over the mountain, it's horrible. Like you're like moving in your <laughs> chair trying to find to look past the sun, but of course you can't because the image doesn't respond to yourself. But that that's what you're trying to do and you don't I don't, you don't get that in a game that is, uh, is, mm. isn't graphically sophisticated. And what's quite interesting, something I noticed in uh, Monza at the first uh, round of SRO, I was walking around the arena, I was looking at the guys practicing, and I noticed that a lot of people turned off a lot of the graphic enhancements, especially things like yeah. shadows. So as, a, as you get good, you kind of go through this arc of you're always trying to improve your <laughs> equipment and your settings to make it look as real as possible, as real as possible. And then when you kind of get to the pro competitions, it's like, right, <laughs> now I need to... It's almost like that slider that you have on the NVIDIA where it's like performance <laughs> yeah. versus quality. And all the, the sim races move that cursor away from yeah. quality towards performance. Yeah, they're, they're just trying to exclude factors that could be distracting right so the sun glare is nice but distracting it makes it harder to get your corner perfect every single time it makes it harder to find the breaking point every single time and it's just you're taking all these things away right like they crank up the the brightness at night so they don't really have to adapt to the night and don't yeah. actually have a challenge from that something maybe they could regulate but people just would find a way around that so I was about if the to option say, is in the game yeah and i was just about to monitor. ask that question would you prefer it if games had like a i don't know let's call it an esport mode where you can't turn this stuff off so i and i and when i'm saying esport mode i kind of mean the opposite of what the esports guys are doing right now <laughs> yeah. so esport mode isn't completely optimized and remove all the nice graphics esports mode is like okay there's now a little symbol in the corner so that the you know the stewards walking around the, the arena can check that you're in esports mode and you uh, can't turn off the sun glare and you can't turn off the shadows because we're meant to be i think at the races, beginning right? they had that in sro where they were trying to make sure that everybody has the same settings but there's 500 settings or yep. so and then it just becomes so finicky for them to actually check and then they need more staff and then it gets more expensive but and kunos, they can't run kunos could implement a a mode that at least you know, ensures that yeah, a few they of could these, probably these... make a version of the game where you just don't have the graphics options available. Yeah. yeah, that could could be something for the onset series, but of course, online your oh, your yeah. hands are tight. You don't have control over the entire PCs and all that. So, mm. just uh, it's a good idea, but I guess as long as everything is still online, which honestly I prefer because it is what makes sim racing so accessible. And if you go on site, you just crank up the price tag. Yeah, end, right? yeah, that's a, it's a really good point, isn't it? That the, the it's i'm kind of i'm kind of torn on it because a lot of the teams well most of the the drivers in that in that arena I, I don't think any of those drivers are paying themselves to get to the arena so it's still just as accessible because they they the team that the drivers 
can mm -hmm. still practice at home in their rigs. They can do, you know, they can do the, in, in our case, in the SRO, in the case of SRO, they have the sprint series, the European sprint series, which is online. So they can still do that. And now that sim racing has grown, you have these organizations which are paying for the team members to get there. So from a driver's point of view, from a game's point of view, I would say that it is still um, as accessible. But I guess for the teams themselves, there's a cost of flying people out there and the accommodation, the entrance fees and whatnot. Um, but I would argue that it does add to the immersion, you know, the it, it, mm. being able to see the other drivers. And at the end, you know, everyone stands up and, you know, I saw you at the end of the last race, you stood up and a couple of the other drivers came over and congratulated you for, you know, yeah. for getting a podium. And, you know, that that really adds to that sense of being a, a real racing driver. Which no, is kind no, of totally. I, I do like being on site there with the people if the race goes well. <laughs> I hate it if it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> But no, it's it generally it's it's nice to have that. Not for me personally, but also I guess for the viewers to see faces because mm. um, of course people know they're the people who are streaming, and um, like the I don't know everybody knows knows Dara and Jardier and whatnot, and Boothby or so right they have a face, but a lot of people just don't, and I think this is where then those on-site events could make a difference if they actually pointed the camera at the people and not just the top three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's still, the broadcast is so tidied up already and narrowed down. Like, we don't see the qualifying, right? They start right with the grid into mm. the race just to not lose any people with boring stuff or whatever. Just right into the action, keep it short and simple. And then, yeah. Well, that's the on. challenge we have as sim racing, isn't it? It's because we're simulating a sport that ordinarily has longer matches. It's not like CSGO where a round could be over in a minute and a half, two minutes, right? It's, it's, the matches are always going to be, I say matches, you know, the, 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 the game, <laughs> the spectacle, the round, I'm comparing to, to like classic esports. It's yeah. always going to be at least 15 minutes, right? But then if you look at um, what Formula E and um, ESL uh, R1 have done recently, they're starting to learn the lessons of other esports and do these quick fire heads to heads and mm. and you know these these quicker races because they know that that people you know SRO is an hour long race right so I imagine yeah. there's a lot of churn through people that that will kind of dip in and out throughout the race they might not necessarily watch the whole thing or they've got mm -hmm. it up on their monitor but they're actually doing something else as well yeah. whereas with CS:GO like you know, in at the Gridfinder office, um, Nikhil, Liam, and Camille, they all love CSGO, and I see them watching it, and they'll watch a whole round because it's only like a couple of minutes, right? So you can you can stay focused on it. So sim racing yeah. has that challenge, and I think ESLR1 especially is at least exploring and being creative with ways to try and tackle that. Yeah, the, the thing is a bit... Like, you could go deeper on that because the... So racing just in general, doesn't have this same or the same chance to do similar story arcs. Like in Counter-Strike, if you lose a round, there's doesn't mean at all losing the map, right? Mm. You can always recover. You make your eco round or another one, and then you're roughly level again, same chances. And in, in sim racing, once the race has progressed, once you're P5 and you're three seconds down, there's no reset anymore, right? They can make a reset after the race and do another yeah. race or so, but it's impossible to change something in the race without starting to kind of integrate sort of artificial elements, yeah. right? I We talked to them at ESL, for example, just um, being trying to be creative with what you could do, right? You could 
give everyone a chance to fit three options through their car, like use more fuel for a lap or mm. get a new tire set across the start finish line or so, right? And just get those things like you have in League of Legends where you build your set for that game or something or in Counter-Strike, which weapons you pick and grenades and whatever, just to give the player more impact and maybe another strategical thing. But then we have this whole BOP topping. This is going to just stir it up to infinity. So <laughs> probably this is going to make it all worse. So it's, it's very tricky to get sim racing to be as... I know, as entertaining in the sense that chances stay alive until the very end, right? In Counter-Strike, you can lead 14-0 and you can still lose the map. Yeah. I, yeah, it's 14 or 7 or 8, whatever, right? Mm. And that in Simmering, it just doesn't happen. If you're a lap down, you're freaking lap down. Not everybody's going to fail. And you also just don't have one enemy in that race, but 20 or 40 or 50. And you need all of them to screw up to get your chances back. So it's much more brutal in, in terms of if you make one error, there's no recovery. Yeah, and and I suppose that's even more like poignant at a local event. So for us at the last race, especially, uh, which was Spa, obviously we we traveled to Spa. We had the whole team go out there. So we had I think it was like seven or eight of us. We had a big Airbnb. Everyone had, we'd flown across from the UK. It was a Spa 24 hours. It was an incredible experience, and. Uh, Obviously, we, Leon had practiced for hours and hours and hours and hours, got the setup right, done the qualifying right. And then in the race, somebody got hit him from behind, spun him round, and then that was, that was the chance of points gone. I mean, he managed to get back from last to 16th, so one position away from yeah. getting points, which was frustrating. <laughs> but obviously, it's a huge kind of ex expense emotionally to get to that point and then just have one chance when you're there. Like, it would be great. You know, they could yeah. do three half an hour races rather than like a long yeah. qualifying and, and i think the the viewers know that right there is no magical recovery you're not going mm. from last to first just not happening right whereas in csgo that can literally happen you go from losing two maps to still winning the best of five yeah which is just an insane turnaround and it can just switch several times in in an event but it's just i don't see how that would possibly work in, in sim racing yet i see is l trying but it comes at um a great cost of um player happiness there because whatever you do it's out of your hands and in in counter strike the target is to kill the other guy in sim racing <laughs> it's an option to win <laughs> right and it's yeah. that is so that is so different right you're in sim racing you have to kind of play with and against your opponents at the same time. Mm. You still kind of have to agree of how much aggression each of them brings to the table. And in Counter-Strike, of course, it's maximum aggression. Like yeah. the target yeah, is yeah. to knock him out. No one <laughs> and, will criticize uh, you for killing the opponent. <laughs> yes, exactly, right? You can go as far as the game allows every single time. In sim racing, there's always, yeah, there's this option to go further and further and mm. kind of stretch the limit and then... That's it's it's brutal, <laughs> it's, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because there is another parallel there with real world racing in that you kind of have to be smart. Like if if your goal, if your if your overall goal is to be a successful driver, right? So racing driver, and let's let's just assume that that includes sim or real, right? And that's your, that's what you want to do. You could do it by winning races, by being super aggressive, and knocking people off the track. But then, when the community is discussing who's the best driver you're unlikely to get uh, listed because you're known as this person who's just very aggressive and unfair and knocking your rivals off the track. You know, it's like the, 
the Max Verstappen debate is he here because he's always very like elbows out and all the drivers give him extra room or is that actually really smart and you know it's and kind we're of... not going into that no 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 no, no. i don't know no. we, we we have a rule on this podcast we don't talk about f1 <laughs> yeah no gonna gonna make spicy comments <laughs> <laughs> absolutely no. we can we can clip them up um okay so let's let's carry on with the story so you've won your first mm-hmm. tournament was that the point at which you were hooked and had decided this is what i'm gonna do full-time or was there another route i mean nah so back then there was no chance to do that full-time because the prize money we had was like if it went really well and you won all races in the season plus the final was like one and a half thousand so that was big waste of time (laughs) (laughs) yeah but of course it, it got me set up with just getting my senses sharp for sim racing in general so this is uh this is where it all began but of course again wasn't an option back then so just went to school and studied and all that and it really took until 2017 or 18 or something where a friend of mine was working in in esports in general so he was at g2 managing all the teams pretty much like in a really center position in the organization and he was a sim racer back then with me when we were 17 or something and he's five years younger or something so <laughs> um and he won that BMW M6 famously back then. So one of the biggest prizes we had at the times was the Intel Racing Tour together with BMW and the Salvo of one team. And they made that on live for speed and he won that race. So he got the car, was 17, couldn't drive it, sold it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he, was, he was staying in esports. And in 2017, 18, he... Yeah, sim racing got a bit of a boost because F1 was going in that direction. They had the F1 esports season. Mm. The first one was 16, 17 or something. So there were eyeballs and was all picking up a little. It was also the time of the... Was it already for the first Formula E Las Vegas race around that time, 2019, 20 or so? Yeah. So it all got going a bit. And um, he just sent me a link to the E race of champions competition at that time. And he was like, this is something for you. He said, I'm like, yeah, okay, I have a little time in my head. Let's try it. So qualified for, for that final um, in, in Mexico. And that got me back into the scene a little. And then he, like G2, was starting to get closer with Red Bull. And they had the Red Bull Racing F1 esports team. And then that got managed by G2. And he didn't really have enough time on his hands. So we shared that position. So he asked me, do you kind of want to do that? And I'm like, ah, weird story arc right because doing all the studies and blah 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 preparing Mm. for to work in economics or marketing or whatever and uh suddenly there's this the sim racing thing what was still a passion i just said yes at the end of the day and then things took their way (laughs) that's nuts it's nuts it's and it's interesting isn't it because it's another story that i've heard of somebody getting into sim racing through that very early very close-knit community because i think sim racing in 2015 2016 especially was a very was a very tight community because be- before that it was there wasn't a huge scene now that diehard kind of pc gamers who played live for speed etc will say no sim racing <laughs> did exist you just didn't know about it like but actually <laughs> the sim racing as we know it now i feel like 2015 2016 is where it really started to grow and there seemed to be this very close-knit community of, of people all working very much together to try and sim racing up onto the up onto the stage um and all those people within that community have now gone on to take all these kind of 
very high profile positions, right? It must have been something like that. Who were there all the early days um, where just the people were approached, right? Because nobody else really knew the scene or mm. so. So yeah, that's, I guess, just a naturally how it, how it really goes. And there was never a CV sent. There were no applications made. <laughs> you would just uh, approach like, we need help here. Yeah. So we're, suddenly you're kind of consultant just because you're in that scene. And it became interesting for bigger brands and they didn't know their ways in there. So I know at one point we were interviewed by by a big agency uh, in Germany, like Jung von Matt, for example. I think they, they do a lot of high profile marketing campaigns for the big companies in Germany. And I guess they were tasked with finding out what sim racing is and what the big companies could do in there. So they were approaching us and just interviewed us for hours and hours to get a grasp of the whole thing. I can argue how that, how well that went, but <laughs> <laughs> that must've been yeah, a very that's surreal went, experience. Yeah. Cause it's like um, when you said about applications, like you, you, you wouldn't see a, you know, a job description is like minimum of three to four years experience as a sim racing <laughs> consultant, because like the, the, the role didn't exist. It's very much, you know, to use a cheesy word, essentially trailblazing a whole new sector of gaming. Yeah. And, and nobody really shaped those positions. There was just tasks to be done and they were very broadly, like it's like the whole specialization and breaking up tasks and, or putting more tasks into more precise actual positions. I think that came later because mm. in the beginning it just needed managing whatever there was and it wasn't clear yet what that would eventually be. Um, so we just did everything in a single position and only over time budgets grew and yeah. maybe sponsors got more interested, blah, blah. And then you, you only later had the chance to actually form positions in that space. So now you have talent managers or um, then you have the partner managers or marketing mm. managers. And you or have so. companies like Veloce that have grown themselves on managing esports teams for, you know, McLaren and Ferrari. And, you know, it's not talking about them too much, maybe because there's, there's a lot of background story going on where yes. things are not as, as, yeah. Nice to say the least. Yeah, we will. Uh, we will. We will move on from let's say that. They, <laughs> let's say, from a business perspective, they did a lot of good moves from maybe ethical point of view or player expectation point of view. Not so much. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a whole podcast to be had about Veloce because it's it's a fascinating organization, and they're they're what they're doing with. Didn't Bex they just launch the a moment. weird NFT crypto thing where you're well, like, what the actual is that? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to stay very neutral because I'd love to have Veloce <laughs> on the podcast to like yeah. get their perspective on, especially the yeah. Vex thing, because it's it kind of, it's funny that it's called Vexed because it has vexed me as to like why, <laughs> you know, like what I don't, I don't, anyway, yeah, we will, uh, we'll, we'll move on from that. So you're at G2. You get them on board, ask them firsthand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you're at G2 um, mm. and is this, would you say this is the first time where, you kind of saw it at saw sim racing as an industry that is getting to a point where it could potentially support a full-time career. Um, because I, I always was skeptical because I knew that, or I had the feeling that whatever these big brands were expecting in sim racing or trying to achieve, I always felt and well, felt to a degree that I thought I knew, um, sim racing would never have this kind of size of audience, right? There would be players 
So if you made a game, you'd certainly sell a lot. Mm. Not a problem. But it's just like how we spoke earlier. It's just not as an audience sport because of the, the long story arc. The race is taking too long. And the people do sim racing. And I'm just convinced it's this way. People do sim racing because they are fascinated by the real thing. And they can't get that because it's too expensive and whatever. Um, sim racing is the closest they can get. And their target is playing. And some might breathe it so much that they also watch the broadcasts and all that. But I think the majority of people is there to play. And I feel this is different just maybe because there's just a whole lot more people in Counter-Strike and League of Legends. But I think these are also more suitable to be like watch-only sports, right? A lot of people watch football or soccer, <laughs> um, but don't actually play, right? And I think that's the same for me. When I was in G2, I just watched a bit of League of Legends, but I didn't play a single game, but I could still watch it. And I think in, in sim racing, it's just, it's different. You're you're playing it and might watch it, but I think it's very rare that people watch it without playing themselves. Um, yeah. Well, because so they, have an option that... to, they have an option to watch either virtual racing or real racing. Also that, right? You you pretty much have the like the, the opponent in terms of fighting for viewership in loads of real series and things being more attractive potentially. But then again, sim racing has that advantage that you can get much closer to the drivers, mm. the players. You can touch the characters, so to say, um, by being in the POV feeds, which you just don't have in the real car. Imagine like being a Not camera on the, on the windscreen facing towards the driver without a helmet and then you'll oh, see his mm, all the expressions yeah. <laughs> and all that right but it's it's impossible in the real thing to get across that i think until you have very small cameras in the helmet maybe and lit faces in the helmet mm. you get the point it's <laughs> difficult to do in the real thing so sim racing has an advantage there where you can just be closer to what the person feels throughout a race which is much more down to interpretation in formula one because all you get is filtered radio messages <laughs> yeah yeah but I mean, I thought that, the, and again, not to break our rules on F1, but I actually really enjoyed it when they were playing all the messages between the drivers and then the team managers to the drivers, team managers to the stewards. Like, that's the most behind the curtain I think we've ever seen. And yeah. it was fascinating. But of course, you have a producer in a studio picking out which messages yeah. to play to essentially, his job or her job is to tell a story. And mm -hmm. so they're going to pick out the bits yeah. which make for the best story, not necessarily tell the kind of numerical metric black and white, this is what's happening in the race. Yeah. Yeah. And then so I, I had this feeling or conviction that in, in sim racing, you'll never grow audiences enough for the investment of these brands to actually make sense financially, unless they are able to keep luring partners into the space. Right. So or, or kind of cross-selling with whatever they have, right? And I know in the big Formula 1 teams, they have audience and they can always tap into that. So if they make a deal around their esports team, they can always say, look, we can always tie this into the real thing in this way, increase the reach a lot. And um, But then again, I think in F1 esports, we, we've seen the follower base of some of the players looking at Jano, for example, is insane. Mm. Like he's probably one of the, the biggest streamers Full stop. Yeah. Even if he does not sim racing, but just it's the same role, right? He does the, the F1 game and people flock to his to his stream.
in thousands, 10,000 if he does a PSGL race. It's incredible. Yeah. So um, I might have been wrong there, but it all concentrates on so few players but that as an ecosystem, there's still, it's not spreading out to, to everyone. Mm, but I think that the interesting thing is that if he does a PSGL race, his stream will get more viewership than the PSGL stream because people are interested Classic. in the streamer, not necessarily yes. the, the sim racing spectacle, which actually is a bit of a shame because if you look at the the uh, commentators that they've had, especially when you look at George Morgan and how, how good mm -hmm. he is, like the, the streams were fantastic. Like they were really enjoyable to watch. But, you know, I yeah. think yeah, even George it's is just, moving I on think viewer racing. immersion is just... It's just much better when when you can stay with one person and people seem to rather want to live through that individual story arc of a race positive or negative rather than seeing the race as a whole yeah right they have more affiliation with a player than with with a race in total they're mm. still going to compliment if somebody else wins but they want to guess feel what Yano feels <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that that is interesting because that is that is sim racing's advantage over real, real world racing, and perhaps you know that's that's what we should be focusing on um, the most. If viewership is the goal, which I actually am very much in your camp, that I've always argued that sim racing is about participation, not viewership, because mm -hmm. in terms of participation, it's incredible because it's so immersive and you have wheels and pedals and it feels completely yeah. different to any other game. But from a viewer's point of view. If you want to watch F1 esports or F1, you just watch F1. They would be smart to just offer player feeds in F1 esports as well, but own and brand them. Mm, yeah. 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 Right? I, I think that would, that would perfectly work because they're already grabbing the feed of the players in F1 esports. Even if they do it online, they're still grabbing the screen and they're grabbing the camera. So they could, in theory, use that. And I, I personally think they should also just stream directly to, to the players' channels and then you can make an agreement around that, right? Then they have the, the partner images or whatever they need, they can put on there. But I think it would be, I don't know, it would be technically more, from a technical perspective, more uh, advanced, mm. probably harder to handle <clears throat> and more streams to monitor and make sure it's all working. But still, I think from your perspective, people would appreciate that. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, you know, I look at, the work that people like Mike Yao at SRO does and you know, his iRacing streams, his ACC streams are absolutely mm. fantastic. The picture in picture, the bringing up of webcams of the drivers in their bedrooms while they're racing. It's, it's, it is, it's getting better. But if you look at the kit that that's got, that, that Mike has yeah. to, to achieve it, you know, that's not you, you, your average league race. Isn't going to be able to achieve <laughs> that. That's very true. Um, um, so yeah, but as you say, you, we've now talked about several people and, they all have full-time sim racing jobs, so to say, right? And at the time, for me, it just was shaping to be one while I did a lot of different stuff. Probably it, it, at the beginning, it took way more time than it paid, but we, we kept increasing that over the years. And then at, um, at G2 slash Red Bull Racing, it just was my full-time job. Um, but it was also very, very exhausting. Um, player management in the end, especially when remotely is just tricky, especially when they're younger and mm. you don't just, you don't have good access to the people when they're some, somewhere else. And um, so, yeah, it takes a lot of energy. And eventually I started my, my own driving more intensively again, and that worked out. And then suddenly I was driving for BMW within G2 and all that. So it just 
I don't know, I had to make a choice at some point because it was only going to be one or the other, but hardly both, just because both needed full time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and at some point I just chose to seek the direction of um, going for the driving side of things more, at least, than, than the management part. Uh, also because that's the only thing I can really scale, right? With, mm. a, with the software we've developed or with the streaming and YouTube, you can kind of invest the same amount of time, but at some point when it's big enough, it just pays more. And if you're in a paid per hour position, that's the end of the road, so to say. And um, of course, I was trying to do get more because <laughs> I, I don't know how long SimRing is going to be there and how long I'm going to be able to do it. So the the attempt is to make sure in a shorter time frame to put myself in a position that's comfortable. Interesting. So tell us about um, Popometer then, like um, or Popometer. I, I hear it pronounced different ways, like Popometer, Popometer. We'll go with Popometer. Um, but tell us... Yeah where the idea came from and then when you decided to give it a crack um so i i always had this this coaching approach right telling people helping people how to drive and um in the coachings itself I always relied on motec um and then i only have so many hours in the day and i had quite a few requests for the coaches and i basically couldn't handle it and so then at some point i aligned or aligned with with rst that software or racing sim tools that already existed. And uh, um, Zach back then implemented the feature of being able for me to upload data there for people to compare the telemetry. Um, but in the end, I had much more ideas of what I wanted to do th with that. And I needed more flexibility and this and that. And in the end, it was just because he had a full-time job already as an engineer and he was doing the software at the side that just couldn't quite... Um, agree on the direction because it was his baby the software so i didn't have enough say in it which is fair <laughs> so at some point uh just decided to do something on our own because i still knew a very good programmer from back of the, the for speed days <laughs> nice and he's doing full-time programming so i was able to convince him to yeah start doing the code for what i had in my mind as what the platform should be which is still not quite there where I want it to be, but we're making, like, it's a functioning product right now. And uh, he made that all by himself, essentially. And yeah, just in terms of what we can do with it and uh, just expanding on our own ideas and blah, blah. That's much better having your own thing than, than working with someone who has very different ideas yeah. uh, of the whole thing. So yeah, that that's... That's kind of how, how it was born. Of course, we saw how um, people were looking for setups and all that, but I felt it never was solely about the setups because it just gives people the, say, the security that or the the reassurance that the issue is in the driving, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? You, you can buy setups as much as you want. You're limited in the end by your capabilities. And I was always about helping people to build on that because much more time is buried in, in better driving. And uh, I know how much time I've put in and all the other good guys have put in and taking shortcuts, so to say, through the, those learning hours by looking at what somebody else really does and having that visualized rather than going through the replay and stopping mm. and going slow motion and going back and forward. It's much better to just have the whole lab in front of you in, in a 2D way, so to say, in terms of data 
and look at that and try to understand what somebody really does different. I know it's a lot of information and we still have to uh, develop ways to narrow it down for people to not leave them alone as much with the interpretation of that data, right? Seeing it is one thing, understanding it is another, putting it into practice is a whole nother thing. So we're still working on making it easier for people to extract that information or just outright throw it at them, what the differences are, what they mean, what they need to read from that and yeah, put it into their practice. Mm. And how do you feel about um, the growth of these AI setup and coaching tools in sim racing? So you've got you've got Trophy.ai and Track Titan mm. are the two that I know that have raised, both of them have raised, you know, millions of dollars um, in investment to build mm. this AI on-screen tool that will yeah. help you get faster. Um, I, I, I'm certainly I, better at attracting money, I can tell you that. But <laughs> <laughs> the product itself, I'm, I'm not so sure because the... Of course, we thought about that, right? We, um, like my my programmer, he works for an investor. And of course, we, we talked to him as well. And he immediately came, okay, we, we have loads of data, put it into an AI, it's going to spit out the right thing. I was like, ah, tricky. <laughs> because um, at my during my studies, um, which was economics, I was focusing on um, the impact of new technology on economics. And therefore, you have to understand that technology uh, to judge what capacity it has to fundamentally change the next business cycle or bigger cycle in, in economics. And um, so I looked into this AI stuff and I worked at a company in Germany that is developing AI stuff. And they're, they're quite advanced worldwide. They never appear as, as relevant. But for example, all the video codecs you use are from them, like wow. the H264 has been co-developed there, for example, and the That's two nuts. and the H two sixty five, for example, right? So they are pretty advanced, and um, yeah, just just working there, uh, we put a lot of effort into kind of opening that AI black box and helping people understand what actually happens underneath. And so I was kind of in a good position to tell that investor, well, it's great, but it's just not going to deliver what we are seeking at least at the time i mean we're talking five years ago or something and mm. of course ai improved a lot and you can rely on it much more and whatever it throws out and it's more deliberate and not as the input doesn't define as much the output right there's there's more going on now but um still i wouldn't feed the ai a bunch of data and then be uh confident that it would spit out useful setup information because we have so many um, influential factors. Like we have was at least 50 settings we can dial in with at least 50 positions. So that's already two and a half thousand options, uh, pot potential settings, mm -hmm. how they interplay with, with how the car is shaped. And then you have the driver driving it and then you get a whole lot of more possible data points that influence the lap time in the end, which is what you're trying to achieve. So it, I think it's just too many different data points that would have an influence and you'd need, if you have so many um, variables, you need to scale the amount of data you feed in to infinity, basically. I don't think SimRace is big enough for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's you really need, interesting. Yeah. Um, so I asked the same question two weeks ago to Jorrit, who runs Sim Racing Center. Now they sell <clears throat> they sell Formula One setups 
um, and they're incredibly um, successful. And I asked him the same question. Um, and he said that the biggest issue with AI is that it will never be able to take into account the driver's own style and how that impacts the setups. Otherwise, you just, every game would just have a meta setup. Everyone would just have, well, this is the perfect setup for this car on this track, like fact. But because every driver drives differently, you know, it, it will affect what style of setup. And then there's, you know, there's drivers who, based on their driving style as it is, that they don't even know they have, there is a perfect setup, but they would <laughs> probably prefer a suboptimal setup because they're more comfortable with it, even though they would be faster with another one. Yeah. And you couldn't possibly know where that sliding scale yeah. is. And it's also just so tricky because you have in the end, talking ACC, you have these JSON files and there's just numbers in there. And first you need to tell the things to interpret these numbers as what they are, a position on a slider. Maybe right? it would just see a spring being left or right or zero or 10, but it wouldn't understand software stiff, for example, and the impact it has on all other settings mm. and, and car behavior. It would just look at the number and see is the lap time faster or not in that individual case. And uh, I just don't see that automatically leading to, for example, the setups that everybody's driving right now because they're essentially exploiting the physics. And maybe if there were a lot of lap times that are fast driven with such setups, then maybe the AI would understand the correlation, but then we already also have that setup and the AI would just confirm what we already know. So it's not like, right, it's, it's mm. very weird. Like it, maybe you drive a fast lap with a soft front spring and maybe instead you also drive a fast lap with a stiff rear spring, for example, and then the AI will learn, hmm, soft front and stiff rear is good. Let's do both. And then you can't drive anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm torn with that. And maybe some of those AI tools that help you with setup suggestions aren't actually AI, but just kind of have a huge amount of if and then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I think they're both, from what I can see from their product and their marketing, I, I think they're moving more from setup to coaching. As in, you have an on-screen coach of brake later, be softer, mm. get closer to the apex, you know, accelerate earlier, blah, 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 more curb here, less curb there, which could work if there is a generally perfect lap and they can feed in data from your aliens who are doing all the best times and then they can just simply compare your lap with their lap in terms of where you physically put the car on the track maybe there's mm -hmm. something there yeah i mean that that's what we're doing right just um, the question is just where would we actually need ai like we can approach this whole thing in a descriptive manner just looking for certain things because we don't actually need to look at the whole thing and kind of try to get the AI to tell the right thing because I, as a coach, know the right thing. I can mm. read this data. I can read these patterns and, and I can tell the driver what, what the thing is that they're looking for. And just taking all that, I know there's like 10, 20 different mistakes people make. There isn't an endless amount. So mm. to say, of course, there are recombinations and all that, but it's you can pretty much narrow down for 90% of use cases what everybody does wrong. So I, it doesn't need this AI in the background to no, find well, a secret I, error. <laughs> I guess it's 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 an alternative to, because, you know, and again, Jorrit was saying that uh, he believes that uh, a human coach is a lot better 
and it's a lot more enjoyable as an experience and a lot of racers they're coaching they're getting coaching again for immersion because they just want to race with other people who are faster a lot of people who get coaching don't necessarily want to be esports pros they just want to be in a higher tier and having a coach is is immersive and you build up a relationship and it's a far more enjoyable experience i guess the ai coaches would argue that their product is scalable because all you have to do is turn it on before you go and then you get these on screen prompts and it talks to you whilst you're going around mm. and so you can you know for, from a business point of view they could coach in theory a billion yeah. people every hour whereas obviously if you have a coaching <laughs> company of 100 people yeah. you can only ho- ho- coach 100 so um it's it's really interesting it's gonna be a really interesting space to to watch from no, for from me it's just to serve different pocket sizes right if uh, there, there's people who have 10k rigs at home they get really invested in sim racing they like the speed so then they come to me and invest another 100 euros which is very little mm. um to actually drive decently and of course then there are people who are much um much less affluent with the money so they need cheaper options and that's then where i see my platform for example just giving people a chance to still do that comparison but kind of do them assisted or on their own without an actual person in there or at least with a with less time spent by mm. a person like we're, we're still planning things where we we will allow people to just say hey this lab um against this pro lab can you can give me a brief analysis of the lab or so until we're confident that we could just have that run automatically by the software but i think until then you can just always have a coach look briefly over it highlight the uh, three four five areas or something in say 15 minutes and then you pay 15 minutes not the whole hour or one and a half whatever the coaching is yeah that's very interesting that's really cool um and it's i'm gonna i'm gonna go and have a look uh, at pop hunter <laughs> again uh, after this uh after this uh, <laughs> this podcast but okay so we're getting towards the end of the of the time that we've got and we have some uh questions from our community we're, we're going to start doing this um every episode so if you enjoy these podcasts and you want to um ask questions for our guests then make sure you're in our discord server or in our facebook group and we announce the guest the day before and we give people a uh opportunity to ask questions so we've had a few questions in and i've chosen oh nice two that i'm going to ask um what one of them really made me me laugh the way that it was uh <laughs> the way that it was written uh, and i might share this later but uh mickey schmidt says he is an e-race junkie from the first playstation 1997 was a nice year wink face wink face wink face uh, this guy's having a great day at this point i think <laughs> ruf and gt and norschleifer so uh i've got perfect sound and an and a neo qled what's your ideas for my first kit so he's giving you options right what would you prioritize first uh uh, a PC, so moving away from PlayStation, uh, a proper rig, or the steering system. What do you think? I guess I could probably boil that question down because there's a lot in there to be like, what's the most important thing do you think for a sim racer to upgrade or buy first? Um, so if he's planning to go all the way anyway, and he's just asking me what the first step would be, then I would probably say... Well, depends how far he goes and what he already has. But anyway, I'll just go with the steering wheel and pedals because that's how you put information 
in the game what you want of the car and you can put that on a playstation as well right and if you later update to a pc you can still use that wheel so it wouldn't be wasted money but if you get a pc now and have to drive with your same old shitty pedals mm. for example you wouldn't get the better experience you'd just be on a different platform so i'd say start with a steering wheel and pedals and then if you still enjoy the gran turismo kind of thing on the playstation or forza if you're on xbox then stay with that and get the rig and then the pc in the last step but you'll have to probably face the the pc people <laughs> telling you <laughs> that you're not doing a real sim so it depends how much you can cope with that <laughs> yeah it's interesting isn't it there's almost like there's, there's two there's two paths here but the good the good news is that um the hardware is getting more and more uh compatible with consoles you know and and that's becoming a bit more of a of a target versus pc i guess you then get limited if you go console versus pc to you you, you can't use mods and you can't use you know additional plugins or crew chief or performator and blah 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 blah, blah. um <laughs> so yeah i mean yeah maybe maybe for me if i was answering that question i'd probably be like if you're gonna do it and you want to go long term make that that first big investment <laughs> Um, in your, they're gonna in your all come anyway. That doesn't matter <laughs> where you start. You're gonna make them all. <laughs> it's a slow march towards just being on a lifetime of that GPU upgrade train that you'll never be able to avoid. It's um, yeah, it is the case. <laughs> okay, we have a second question from uh, Strovich, who's a um, big fan of the podcast. He's uh, he's kind of getting involved in all of our uh, episodes, which we really pre appreciate. So thanks, Strovich, for uh, enjoying the and listening to and enjoying the podcast. Um, he asks, what websites do you go to most often within the sim racing world to connect with us as others and feel a sense of community? Oh, it's probably... So I'm busy, okay. And um, I don't have much time to scroll through forums and read something like that. So I'm I'm more of a... I do more output than I get input, I think. So try if I do a YouTube video, I stay to I try to stay really close to the comments, right? If people comment on my YouTube, I try to make sure mm. to answer everyone that reasonably answers himself. <laughs> <laughs> so if you just trash talk, I might just ignore it. But most of the people, I'll really try to engage in the in the conversation in the YouTube comments, and that's where I, then I get the sense of community. But then of course I have the Discord. 6,000 6, people or something, I don't know. Much less are actually writing. But, um, of course, that's the, the standard place where I'm just there. This is just open when I'm here at home, which I am most of the time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that I'd be approachable there. I engage with, with other people. And, um, yeah, I think I don't watch them as others anymore, right? On my Discord, there's a couple people who are just re really close by now. Um, and then I don't think there is a third bit really so it's youtube <laughs> and it's and it's discord and I'm, I'm checking reddit every now and then but i'm more seeing reddit as an opportunity to just put myself out there rather than mm. getting input right it's yeah just a different audience there I, I think i have more to give there than to take yeah that's really interesting there does seem to the discord seems to have um I was going to say killed, but not killed because that sounds really negative as if it's a bad thing. But it, people, the forum it's more style instant. sites seem to have suffered since Discord's come out because now you can have your super targeted um, mini communities that you know you can shape as you want rather than being subject to however that particular forum wants to shape their, their discussions. It's also just much more direct and you kind of make sure somebody can see what you're writing. And the forum is always down to someone reading your post while mm. it's on top or something right and if more pages come then you're already missing that i hate the way reddit sorts comments like 
I sometimes bizarre, isn't it? Sometimes I'm just like, okay, wasn't that like recent? Why is it not visible? And then <laughs> it's yeah, very it's, weird. It's well, yeah. I mean, because do they not use the? Uh, you can you can sort right, and I think it's either newest or hottest. And whatever the algorithm is for hottest, yeah. which I think is default, like who who the hell knows? Um, yeah, or or the like twenty layers deep into a response or so, it just gets hard to have an overview or so. But the same same on Twitter. I don't know what it does anymore. I'm I'm getting zero notifications X. from Twitter. I don't get it. Yeah, I'm X. not following that. He's going to have a harder time convincing me of that. Yeah, so, it's also yeah, horrible on, on because before you say I read a tweet or I saw some tweets. It's really hard not to say. I saw some X's. It just doesn't roll off the tongue as much. Yeah, I think a lot that he's doing does not make sense. Like, but he's having he's a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> I'm not so sure. Like, if he if he looks at what he spent and what he has to get in, it's not going too well. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, uh, Niels, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming onto the podcast. Really, really um, appreciate it. Um, if people want to um, find you online or follow you, where should they go? uh twitter discord youtube <laughs> easy perfect and uh, anything that we should be looking out for on popometer anytime soon yeah i think we're like we, we've started with something so we're trying to really go in the direction of helping people get assistance with what they read out of the data so we're trying to put more things there where like sort of analysis is being done by the platform and helping you understand what you need to look at most instead of leaving you alone with all the interpretation of the data. So I think that's probably going to be the, in terms of product value, going to be the first kind of game changer, hopefully. <laughs> nice. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it. And by the way, um, our sim racing team, they all use Popometer and they all absolutely love it. Um, so <laughs> big shout out for that. But Niels, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. And we'll chat soon. Likewise. Okay, so that was Niels from BS Competition, BMW Sim Racing, formerly of G2, founder of Popometer, a guy who really, really knows his sim racing, as you'll have gathered. And also a really nice guy, really nice guy to talk to. So thank you, Niels, for, um, uh, for joining us on the podcast. I was really interested to hear your thoughts on your own product. Obviously, we're building our league manager over here at Gridfinder. So it's always nice to speak to people who are, who are trying to build for uh, the community in sim racing and how viable it is and how we can how we can kind of keep these products alive and grow the space that we that we love so thanks thanks Nils again for for joining us um and a final thanks to our new sponsor Aztec uh Sim Sports uh, appreciate you taking faith uh, having faith in our um in our podcast and we're looking forward to working with you and getting some people on uh, the show and trying out your your equipment over the next few months so thank you Aztec um, you'll have heard in that episode that we're going to try and get questions from the community into the episode. So if you want the, uh, the, the notification, the heads up of who the guest is going to be, I usually send it out the day before we're recording. I'll tell you who it is. Um, and I'll offer uh, you the opportunity to ask them some questions. If you want to get involved in that, make sure you're in the Gridfinder discord um, and check out the Sim Sundays podcast channel in there or join the Gridfinder Facebook group. Okay, see you next time. <laughs>